Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm, at jfrostholm on Twitter. Creative South is coming up in just under a month, and there are less than 100 tickets left, but there is still plenty of time to sign up for a workshop. Learn about building passive income with Dustin Lee, sports branding with Britt Davis, creating vector textures with Ben Stafford, and many other topics. If you haven't picked up your ticket yet or you still need to sign up for a workshop, head over to creativesouthga.com and register today before it's too late. My guest this week is Danielle Evans. Danielle is an award-winning designer and lettering artist specializing in food typography. She has worked with clients like Target, Cadillac, and Bath & Body Works. I talked with Danielle about how working through being depressed led her to start in such a specialized niche and collaborating with other designers and artists right after this. you love stickers? Do you find yourself needing something awesome to adorn your computer, water bottle, or anything else? Then Slap Stickers has something special for you. Slap Stickers is a monthly subscription service bringing you stickers designed by some of the most talented artists and designers. Each month you'll receive five or more awesome stickers, and every month has a different theme and a different mashup of talented artists. Visit slapthestick.com and sign up today. And if you mention the Creative South podcast, You'll be entered in a drawing for the ultimate slap stickers bundle, including a slap sticker t-shirt, trucker hat, and enamel pin. That's slaptustick.com. Slap TA Stick.com. Danielle, thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, I'm glad and excited that you did it. Um, So I'm going to kick off and just say, I am super excited that you are hosting this year's Creative South. Oh, yes, I am too. I was really excited. Um, I know that my kid said he wanted to find a role for me. And I said, well, I've spoken and I've done a workshop. So I don't know, whatever's next, you, you tell me what you want. And so this seemed to be a natural fit. And I don't know. The hype has been pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't expect anybody to care that much. So now there's all this expectation. I hope I, yeah, <laughs> you know, nail it, you know, as long as you don't like leave the stage crying, I think you'll be fine. Now that I've put that in your head. <laughs> okay. I maybe I shouldn't it. have done that. Um, what is the possibility of this happening? No, it'll yeah. be so cool though. Um, I really enjoy being in roles like this just because it allows me to kind of research other people and see mm. what, makes them tick and what they love and being able to celebrate that with other people. That'll be so much fun. I really enjoy, I'm that person usually in relationships where I'm like, Oh, do you know this person? They do this, this, and this, and here's a funny story about them. And here's something that I really like about them. And Oh, here they are. And bringing people together that way is fun for me. So it seems like a good fit. No, that's awesome. That's kind of uh, what my goal is with the podcast is I, and I never used to be that person. Um, but at some point in my life, I, you know, decided to get out of my comfort zone within the past six months. So this Yay. is, yeah, so this is <laughs> exciting. So, um, I'm looking forward to seeing you there, but, uh, why don't you tell us where, uh, where you grew up? Oh man, I grew up. So right now I live in Columbus, Ohio, but mm-hmm. I grew up kind of in the rust belt, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Um, I grew up in Steubenville, Ohio, which is the easternmost part of Ohio, And right across the river is West Virginia, just a tiny little sliver, and then into Pennsylvania. So I spent most of my childhood there. My grandparents, my grandfather had immigrated to that area back in like 1918 from Italy. Mm 
And so when he came over, um, oh, actually, no, it was 1928 because he was 10. And so when they came over, they stayed in that area and he's been there. He's still living for almost a hundred years. And so my family just hung out there. Mm-hmm. Um, when my parents separated, when I was 10, I went up to Canton. So there's the football hall of fame. Mm-hmm. Um, Mikey Burton is from there. He's pretty cool. Uh, lots of other famous creatives and a couple bands you might've heard of. And <laughs> that's basically where I split my time. My dad's family's from Pittsburgh. And so okay. I spent a lot of my childhood over there as well. And so I've got this very rich, like rust belt kind of heritage and industrial immigrant kind of blood kicking through my veins. So, so that's little, fun. little blue collar work ethic going there. <laughs> Very much. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. And when you were growing up, were you kind of the arty kid or were you a um, completely normal kid that somewhere uh, went awry as my parents like to say? <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of the everything kid. I did anything anyone would let me do. I played mm-hmm. sports. I um, read a lot and acted a lot as a kid, but I really love art. Art was my favorite thing. I have notebooks from back when I was, I'd say starting around four is when I could really start keeping them. Um, but I was always drawing and we have videos of me being like, here's a picture of some sneakers and a basketball, which I think are very good. So ah. <laughs> clearly I had. Well, so there comes the acting. <laughs> I know, because they were awful. Actually, I had this, this epiphany when I was six. I was really into fashion drawings. So I would make clothes and whatever and... And at one point, I remember drawing this bikini where it wasn't really a bikini. It was just like two little like nipple covers. And I was like, man, That's this is amazing for a child. But I got to walk away from this because I can't put this out in the world. People will wear this. It'll be a, it'll be immoral. It'll be a travesty. I just I can't go through with it. <laughs> so I had to like walk away from fashion. Uh, yeah, probably if you're designing <laughs> that type of um, couture at the age of six. <laughs> You know, you're going to end up with some weird helmet lang path that uh, maybe shouldn't be seen in public. Yeah, the world was not ready for it. So (laughs) here I am. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm assuming you took a lot of like art classes in high school and things like that and kept with it. Now, did you go to college? I did. I went to college in Indiana. Um, I was out there for the full four years and I I got a degree in illustration, Mm -hmm. but it was one of those things where I was sat down sophomore year and was told, Hey, you know what? You're not really cut out to do this necessarily. Like we could see you having a creative job, but you're not really someone that we could see doing traditional painting or character design. And I'm like, well, screw you guys. I'm just going to figure it out and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to like it. And so, <laughs> so your college had a very set path of what they, and a, and a very boxy version of what they considered to be an illustrator and you weren't fitting within that mold. Exactly, exactly. It was very much about um, studying the old masters and kind of not replicating their style exactly, but just continuing in tradition. And mm-hmm. I think it's because that's what everyone knew. At the time when I was graduating, people were like, what's this newfangled like digital illustration thing? What is that? And so um, people like tablets weren't widely available. Mm-hmm. A lot of the software was still kind of coming around. I was working off of um, Photoshop and Illustrator 2 which oh. didn't have the capability for layers. <laughs> wow. They were, um, all right. So you just told me how old you are. I'm trying to do the math. They were a little behind on their software there. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little. <laughs> That's what we started on. I think by the end of it, we got up to four or five, I think was just coming in and I couldn't afford it. So I had mm-hmm. to stick with two. 
Um, I kept crashing computers in the labs. But honestly, it wasn't until I would say halfway through school, like junior year, first semester, I kind of took a typography course Mm. flippantly, really um, just feeling like I needed to fill that slot. Nothing great was really fitting. And I loved it. I couldn't believe how much I loved written word and hierarchy and balance and shape based things. I thought it was incredible. And so for me, it was really important to um, kind of pursue that. Mm-hmm. while still holding on to illustration, because if I loved anything, I loved telling stories and, and making sense of a good narrative and all the things associated with that. And at the time, again, there was no way to really bridge those. You'd kind of look at one department and they go, oh, you belong over there. <laughs> you know? So you'd be straddling these two worlds uh, with both feet. Sure. So, yeah, it's kind of where it started. And a lot of it was just me seeing like the success of people like um, Eric and Jessica and and Dan and all of these people that are just really making lettering what it, what it is today, like sure. really forging that path and being like, Oh, here are people that are doing this, that are making it work. You know, I want to do that too, but I don't know how. And so it kind of set me on this long path of experimentation being like, Oh, well I've done sculpting. I like that. I like interiors and spatial reasoning. Mm-hmm. I love cooking, but I don't know how to fit all these things together. You know, I love language. I've learned several not very good at many of them anymore, but just the fact that trying, I'm trying to figure out how to express myself and it just wasn't clear initially. So a lot of experimenting and a lot of crying later and here I am. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah. so when you, you know, you're going through college, you're doing illustration and being told maybe you shouldn't be doing illustration. And then you kind of switch into learning more about type and typography Mm-hmm. you know, what do you do when you get out of school? Cause those are two very specific kind of specific <sighs> things that have specific roles within the creative industry. Right. Exactly. Well, at the time I was also um, starting to become comfortable with the internet. Like I had used it and chatted with people online and whatnot, but I hadn't really figured out how um, social websites worked. I had had a Facebook in college and it was okay but mostly it was what it is today, kind of a hassle. Mm. Um, but I, I found Twitter and was like, oh man, here's like a search engine that you can use to find people that do what you do or um, have application for what you do. And so I started seeing like, oh, here are side projects. Here's this, here's that. Um, I still didn't know how to really translate that to myself. I got out of school and was like, well, I think I, I don't really know what to call myself. Huh, that's weird. And I started looking at my portfolio going, maybe this will show me the way. I had a sculpture, a photo, a vector illustration, and like a graphic design project where I made t- or like money or something. And that was my portfolio. That's what I left college with. What like, is up with every college requiring you to redesign the dollar bill? <laughs> I don't know. Because I did that. <laughs> and I know um, I've got some friends who went to Auburn. They did that. And, you know, yeah. this goes, I don't, I don't get it. I think some of it is just because of how complex it is. And so you're kind of looking at the assignment in terms of, well, this is when something is finished, when it looks like you can't rip it off, I think. (laughs) You can't go make it yourself and then distribute it to hundreds of people on false and erroneous pretenses, you know, Mm -hmm. then it's finished. And so I think that's part of the thought process behind it, but it usually just ends up looking like garbage. (laughs) I'm going to have to call Diane Gibbs and ask her uh, what the reason and if they still do that project. Because yeah, Diane, Diane lives like five minutes from me. Maybe oh, ten nice. minutes. 
Yeah, so um, we're both in AIGA together. And oh, she's fabulous. Friends. Yes, she is. Um, so, you know, you finish up school. What do you do after that? Do you- um, I work in retail. I work at restaurants. I, <laughs> I work in more restaurants. I work in more retail. I graduated during the housing crisis. Mm. There were no jobs. Like, I remember trying to get a job at the Apple store, and I look on either side of me are two 40-year-old men that just got laid off from their cushy jobs doing whatever they were doing and damn it they had kids to feed they were gonna they were gonna get this this gig right so i'm like oh man you <laughs> can't really compete so i i would work on things but i was so self-conscious about what i was doing i didn't want to i didn't want to rip anyone off um mm-hmm. for me in school we were taught hey you know you're going to take a class where you study the masters and you can replicate it as best you can, whatever you can find of theirs, but you are not allowed to claim it as a portfolio piece. And so for me, um, if I felt I was getting too close to taking liberties from someone, I would be like, nope, not, not doing it. Nope. Well, not going to, not going to show it. So how did you, or how do you for yourself? How do you for yourself? That makes sense. <laughs> how do you <laughs> define okay. wh- what's the difference between taking liberties and being inspired by Oh, well, I guess um, part of it is how you're going to use it. Like, for example, if you're going to use it for currency, mm-hmm. there's a very distinctive line there. Like if you're offering exactly the same thing someone else is in the same market with the same kind of styles, the same kind of nuances, the same kind of lighting, the same whatever, that is too close. Sure. You should be differentiating in some way to the point where someone would not confuse you. Um, with students, I think being paid is actually getting graded. So when you think about students in school, like if they're using a project that is heavily, again, um, using someone else's sensibilities to cultivate good grades, that is where it kind of crosses the line. Whereas if you're using it as a learning tool or you're using it for fun or you're using it as like, hey, I just made this thing I'm giving to my friends as a birthday card or whatever, Mm -hmm. then I think that's perfectly acceptable. And I think as long as it's differential in some fashion, then it's it's fine. It's perfectly fine. So. Yeah, but I think I took that to a weird extreme when I got out of school because I didn't allow myself to finish work for like four years. Mm-hmm. So you would and start was, you would start on something and feel you were getting too close to something else. Yeah, and then just like scrap it. Yeah, and I mean that's not to say it was anything close. It was garbage. Like it didn't look anything like this person's work. Most people's um, is the minute they get out of school. <laughs> But yeah, I, I felt that was really important to maintain that that level of integrity with my work. And so I let it damage me. Um, I struggled. I felt like I always had to like cultivate something out of nothing. That was really important to me. And I think it's why I didn't do well as an illustrator, because I was constantly like not wanting to look too much like the masters. And so I wouldn't look at them. Well, of course, they're masters for a reason. You know, they know yeah. how this stuff works because they they figured it out. So I ended up um, really hurting myself. Eventually, I don't quite know how this worked, but I, I got a job as an in-house designer for vinyl decals. So it mm-hmm. merged this um, graphic design idea and illustration sensibilities. So I was I was um, creating graphics and plenty of Bible verses to keep me busy with lots of like, hey, here's a call out word that you need to do in Zapfino. And <laughs> like, <laughs> there were depending on what part of the country you were in, I could tell you exactly what, what you were going to be asking me for. <laughs> sure. So, I mean, that was a really interesting job because it's kind of where I got my hands-on experience figuring out how those two worlds merge together. Mm-hmm. And 
it was a great job in terms of what I was allowed to do. Like I really loved it, but my bosses were not great people. They didn't take care of their employees very well. There was a lot of nepotism in the company and, um, they just, it wasn't a very healthy environment. There were a lot of like toxic emails that would get sent to people and fun. people would just get fired out of nowhere for no real reason. Just, was, to, just to keep people on their toes. Yeah, really. <laughs> just to keep it exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I've unfortunately worked for some places like that. Um, and I think everybody's at least had one boss that's similar to that. So. Yeah. It's great though, because it teaches you kind of how to, how to deal with people in a work environment. Like, if you're doing it right, you're making someone's job easier. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're helping people along and everybody can feel good about um, the end result at the end of the day. That's really important for people to enjoy being where they work. And I feel like if that's not the case, it's less a reflection on what happens to them after work. It's more a reflection on how you behave towards them mm-hmm. at work. Sure. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's an important lesson for most people to learn is, even if you're freelancing, you still have to work with people. Mm-hmm. So, and it, believe me, I didn't figure this out till like three years ago. Um, and it, it's one of those things is you've got to have some modicum of social skills to mm-hmm. be able to communicate with people and learning how to do that. You, I think for a lot of people who jump out there and freelance right away, they miss that learning curve. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, everybody's got their own path and there's some people that that has worked out great for. And mm-hmm. there's other people that, you know, that they just fall flat on their face and, you know, take the uh, road of hard knocks and yeah, get that path. It's true. So, think, so go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think there's some weird myth about, I call it like this lone wolf quality to artists where unless you're working by yourself in a dungeon somewhere, then you're not doing your job correctly. And, you know, it's, I almost gave up uh, pursuing this line of work because I felt like, oh, well, I'm not expected to be a social person mm-hmm. and I can't seem to get my work done unless someone is hanging around somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, and it wasn't until I realized that actually this job requires a lot of, like you're saying, people skills. Being able to work on teams is huge, especially on large projects where it's yeah. really not wise for one person to have all the responsibility. No. And yeah. And so I find that like, oh man. People enjoy talking to me while I'm working. This has also opened up the door for um, installations and Mm. live performance work, which is great because I don't know many people that feel comfortable chatting as they're trying to think through a complex problem. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's 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 definitely an individualistic thing Mm because I know for me, there are – if I get stuck on a complex problem, then I want to go and take a break from it and talk to someone and it'll generally trigger something I can do. But yeah. if I'm like in the middle of it and in the zone, I want, you know, headphones in, leave me alone for a few, let me get past yeah. this point and then I'll talk to you. Exactly. Um, that so, makes sense. So kind of backing up and I, I do want to touch on this a little bit later on like collaboration stuff, but backing up to, you know, the, um, the vinyl sign shop, where do you, so obviously you're not there anymore. So where do you go after that? Oh man. Um, I decided to try to find a cushy agency job at the mm-hmm. time, you know, getting a, a decent living wage every couple weeks was looking really good. <laughs> and I can't imagine like, why. <laughs> I know. I know. Insurance sounded amazing. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> you know, life things that you're like, you know, I should probably have these if my parents are going to stop asking me when I'm moving home. Mm. So I, I start like positioning my work to people and I start getting bolder with sharing lettering as a, 
as an interest and an offering. And I, no one would pick me up. They're like, you know, your stuff is so cool. We really like what you're doing, especially these three or four projects um, where you're working with food. That's great. But we just can't use you. We can't use you right now. I'm sorry. You don't seem to have branding skill sets or packaging. And I'm like, no, I do. Just, I don't want to show you what I've done because I was made to do gross things. <laughs> I want to show. Uh-huh. And so they're like, well, fine, you know, hit us up when you feel more comfortable with those. And so I realized, oh man, I can't find work. Well, I guess I've got to freelance. And I had never, I had never seen myself as a freelancer. That was something that I could maybe consider doing a few years down the road once I hit my 40s and 50s and I'm tired of office work and mm. want something different. That was like my planned midlife crisis. I was ready. <laughs> and essentially, I found myself thrust into this world immediately and I hated it. I hated being responsible to myself, like only myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I love being able to keep standards that I thought were appropriate for how work should look, but that meant you had to convince someone that it was worth doing and paying for. Mm -hmm. Um, I hated chasing people for bills. Um, It was just, it was really rough. And so I I think I made, I want to say I made somewhere around like eight grand that year, maybe. It was really rough. Yeah, I can imagine. That's uh, (laughs) a... You can't really live on that. No. And somehow, somehow we made it work. My husband had a, he, what was it? I think it was like $9 an hour that year. And then mm. he went up to 12, but we were splitting that on top of whatever money I was making, which was almost none. And so we were splitting that and paying down our school loans and surviving on mac and cheese for like two straight years. And we like baked the shit out of macaroni and cheese. Do you know how many ways you can make macaroni and cheese? Um. Like all of them. <laughs> I, I know about five. <laughs> I feel like everybody does. Yeah. And you just don't quite lose the taste for peanut butter and jelly. You're like, this is great anytime. Uh-huh. I don't care. Yeah. I, I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich the other night. <laughs> I even I even tried my hand at web work and web work was just not right for me. Um, it's a little too structured. It's not playful enough, really, at least not what was what was in style at that time. And so I was... Mm just really depressed and angry and frustrated. And we had this whole, you know, we have to skip Christmas situation. I had a Mm. client step out on me. It was, it was just a bad time. And I remember like looking at my husband tearfully being like, you know, I really, I want to do something I love and I can't do it right now. He's like, do you know what that is? I'm like, well, I've got some ideas. I think it's this lettering thing, but I'm still really nervous about showing that to people. He goes, you know, let's just work on being happy. If Mm. it means you know, if it means we can't go out, then we can't go out. We're used to that. We'll just keep being used to it. As long as I can come home and you're not crying all over the couch every single day, that'd be okay. <laughs> I'd much prefer that to you being miserable. And so <laughs> I started letting myself have some fun. You know, uh-huh. I started exploring and I started playing on these ideas that I had had. And, and that's kind of where all of this work came into being. So, yeah. Okay. And, e- and even then when when it all happened, like when people started getting interested and mm-hmm. my work started getting passed around online, even then I was still taking odd jobs, working on branding. I had a job where I had to walk. It was like almost two miles every day for like two weeks, like two miles up, two miles back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the rain, in the cold, just because we needed the money. And so I had to do it. Um, I did get really slim and trim um, during that time. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Turns out when you have one car and that's the only way you can get anywhere, that's a great workout plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'd so much call that a plan as a yeah. for, as a forced march. 
Forced dieting. Yes. yes. There you go. <laughs> so, you, you know, you all this happens, you kind of, you're forced out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you mentioned something there about, you know, being depressed. Do you think this was a situational depression because of, you know, just not being able to make money and, um, you know, all the other factors that kind of go into that and not being able to pursue what was fun for you? Mm-hmm. Or do you think it was... I don't know, maybe, you know, something a lot of uh, a lot of creatives deal with is is depression and anxiety and things like that. So do you think it was more situational or because of other things? I mean, I think it was a little bit of both. It was definitely situational seeing people reject me over and over again and realizing that um, in the course of trying to find work, I kept putting myself in this position where I was around really shitty jobs like the people that I was working with um, or trying to get jobs with weren't the best places to get hired. And in in some cases, thankfully, I found this out before I was offered anything. Mm -hmm. So I became immediately disinterested. And I thought, you know, is this my fate to just be attracted to terrible work situations? And I realized it actually wasn't, but it was my fault. (laughs) I kept putting myself You you laugh at that, but I think that's a big differentiator that a lot of people don't realize. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of the reason I asked that because, you know, a lot of people rely on this is why, why me, why me, why me? And Mm -hmm. definitely there are always situations that happen to people that are completely outside of their control. But Mm -hmm. if you keep putting yourself into situations like that, it becomes a pattern. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. It's like that. um, What is it? I've heard people recently talk about if you're always encountering crappy service, when you go out to eat, it's possible that you are the one that's crappy. Like, you know, you can't keep running into people that are just terrible and not question at least an iota of yourself. You have to kind of look at yourself and go, okay, how much of this has been done to me and how much have I done to me? and then make decisions from there. And so that's kind of a self-actualizing moment that I had and Um, I'm thankful to have had. And I think there were a series of moments following that where I had to um, recognize that, for example, um, I had come to idolize certain people so much that I couldn't look at their work. I could not look at their work because it would stress me out and depress me. Um, Mm. There's one person in particular, and I can't say their name because we're kind of friends now, and so that would be weird, but I would have to take like six months off of looking at their stuff. Like I'd love to see what they're doing and I would love supporting them. But the second I saw it, I was like, I, I just, I'm sick because <laughs> I'll never do anything like this. Um, and I realized that was a, that was a really bad attitude. It mm. was very self-defeating. And I mean, it, if uh, I had ever met this person at that time, it would have put us in a very weird position. So <laughs> are you able to look at this person's work now? Yes. Okay. Yes, cool. very much. <laughs> at least you've gotten past that. Well, that was like a stepping stone is realizing like, okay, well, I need to be happy when people that I know and people that I, you know, admire get work. I have to find joy for them because Mm -hmm. damn it, they worked for it. And that's amazing that that opportunity happened. But the moment that I could then go, okay, this opportunity happened for them, but how did they do it and why? Mm -hmm. That was kind of the big moment where um, things started clicking for me because I realized, okay, well, maybe I'm taking inspiration in the wrong way. My work looks too much like someone else's if I'm trying. But you know what? Maybe I should learn how they work. Like, how do they push out content um, when they explain their work to people? How are they explaining their work? These mm-hmm. are things I can get better at. 
And I started looking at um, where they hung out and how they tagged their stuff and just discovering like, oh, there are smarter ways to do this than what I'm doing and starting to treat everything like a flow chart and an experiment where I'll do something and go, okay, what happened? The thing I wanted, the thing I didn't want. If it was a thing I didn't want, do the thing again, but differently. <laughs> Assess and take notes. Yeah. So what was the moment for you, you know, getting past all of this stuff where you kind of finally realized, you know what, I'm doing good at this. I can, I don't have to keep taking this, you know, crap job that I'm miserable with. I can actually focus on that. Do you oh, have man. one that stands out or is it just everything kind of piled up and finally it was, you know, heavens open? Everything kind of piled up. I think really when the, my first job was um, with Target, like my first commercial job doing this, I'd had a couple bids in, but they were the first one to like seal the deal. So they are my first job. Mm-hmm. Um, when that one happened, I was, I wasn't worried about anything. I wasn't worried about the money because for me that had been more money than I had made even you know, in that one year when things were really bad, <laughs> you know, it was a healthy budget. I would hope it, so. Because <laughs> that was, was a healthy... really bad year. <laughs> I know. It was, I know. Like, I mean, not, not that $8,000 isn't a lot of money, but $8,000 <laughs> spread over 12 months is not a lot of money. No, it's not. It's not even like a grand a month. It's so no. bad. <laughs> so yeah, like, I mean, I was looking at more money than I had ever made. Um, I was looking at more publicity um, more trust. They had trusted me so, um, explicitly to do everything. You know, they, they didn't care whether or not I had done it before for anyone else. They Mm -hmm. were just, they were like, you know, you come in here, you do what you're good at. We'll leave you alone. Like, you know, we'll give you some input, but for the most part, they just gave me free reign to do whatever made sense to me. And I think in that moment I was like, wow, people in a position of power in a position of influence really trust me. I should trust me. (laughs) And so because of that, um, I think where I would have been crippled by, again, the amount of expectation, the amount of visibility and and the amount of uh, money at stake, I was really calm. I was very cool. I had a great time. I got really sick during the project. But beyond that, um, I had this moment working and and being like on the verge of, of throwing up because I had cheese and it was melting under the lights. And so it was starting to go bad. And so I'm already Mm, feeling nauseous. Yeah. Like I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, this is the worst way I could possibly feel while I'm working, but I don't hate working. <laughs> Maybe this is something I should continue doing. <laughs> like, oh, so, just the sound of really cheese cool melting moment. under the lights is making my mouth water in a very bad way. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Bite your tongue. Bite. Don't yeah. let it swell. <laughs> so, well, so, so real quickly, what is the grossest food product you've ever had to work with? Was it the melty cheese just because you were feeling so sick or Um, have there been much worse since then? There have been worse. I've done a lot of meat. I don't know why meat keeps coming back to haunt me. It was my second project I had ever done. And then people are like, this is really brilliant. Let's bring back some more meat. I'm like, oh, cool. Because it goes bad so quickly, especially if someone's like, let's do a time lapse. You're like, okay. (laughs) So so how long especially with like the meat things, how long is it taking you to do something like that? I would imagine it's taking you most of the day. Yeah, it is taking most of the day. And Um, I'm not even talking like sketching out and plan it out. I'm talking like the literal building. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does take, um, at least with any of the meat products I've used, I think the quickest one I got off was around two hours. And the one before that was me or the most recent one I had done was maybe four and a half, Mm -hmm. five. 
So it was a lot of time. And when you start looking at um, one of these places, I was in another country and so they had no air conditioning. They just never needed it. And so we're smelling all of this dying under the lights. Um, one meat, I did a seafood one. I did that in 40 minutes. Uh, and even in 40 minutes, that was already dead. I, I mean, it was gross. It was yeah. Gross. Seafood's one of those that it's, you know, going to, wow. Yeah. I have oiled two lobsters last year. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like in my career, I have oiled a couple lobsters. It's a weird thing. Yeah. That's not really a phrase you hear people utter a whole lot of. Uh, no. <laughs> I've oiled a lobster. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm still mouthwatering at meat and cheese there. Um, <laughs> that's just horrifying to imagine some of those smells. So, so getting back on track. So you 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 start working with Target, and mm-hmm. you know we talked earlier about you know those interpersonal skills of working with teams. I imagine that's a pretty big team environment where you've got a lot of players who are offering opinions, and it's everyone from you know the AD to the creative director to some marketing guy, you know, in Minneapolis who doesn't care a bit about the creative side of it, but, you know, is trying to crunch the numbers and figure out what the best analytics he's going to get from it are. So how, how does, how does your role on the team figure into that? And how do you balance meeting everyone's expectations with still coming off with being you? Oh yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. I guess in a very philosophic sense, I like to think of it as, as the truest truth. Like I think about, for example, you have that one friend that's like, when am I ever going to meet somebody? And you're like, well, you don't leave your house. You watch Netflix all day and you're not on social media. So you're kind of a crazy cat lady, but you can't tell them that. They won't hear it from you. So you got to be like, you know, maybe you should go out to eat from time to time, or maybe join a group of like a, I don't know, some sort of recreational league and maybe meet some people that way. And usually um, I find that my friends won't hear the bluntest truth, the truest truth necessarily, like the truth, Mm -hmm. but they will hear a gentler version of the truth, a stepping stone to the truest truth. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to, when I work with clients, I try to think, okay, well, what are principles or feelings that I get when I am in front of their product, when I, you know, interact with them? What of these things are consistent with me and my brand and how I want to convey myself? And then I try to marry those two and be like, okay, well, this is the best way that I can present their work. And therefore, I think this is a good match. So, and at least in a grand picture kind of idea, like a, this is my vision or my mission. That's the way I like to think about it. But when it comes to working on a team, it's true. You do end up with a lot of people. And I feel like my role is very strange in the sense that I'm kind of an art director. I'm definitely a, an executing designer. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, like I'm a stylist as well. Mm-hmm. And that often figures in. Um, sometimes I need help with that just because these jobs are large and we have multiple pieces going at once. Um, I'm usually not a photographer, but sometimes I will assist with things or give an opinion. Mostly I try to assess when I'm in a group. Initially, I'm just observing. Um, I tend to be very gregarious, but when I'm in a new situation with a lot of new people, I just want to sit and watch and see where everybody kind of casts themselves in the system. And I try not to interfere with that initially. Once I kind of assess where everyone is, I go, okay, well, here's an art director here. This could be a redundant situation if I'm also involved, but let's see what their point of view is. And sometimes I'll get a really great art director who has a fantastic point of view. They'll add a lot of stuff to what we're doing. Like, um, I think of Kyle Gustafson, he's 
so fantastic. He's working mostly with um, Target social team. Mm-hmm. And he's just one of the best um, art directors I've worked with because he he would take an idea that I'm doing and he'll go, okay, well, I like this. Let's throw some light on it. We'll make it a GIF. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Or, hey, you know, let's, we've got these colors going on. Let's let's continue with these. Or actually we like the texture of, of this kind of marshmallow rather than like melted marshmallow, but we like that look. And so like, as you're working with someone, you're watching them transform your work into something better than what you could have done by yourself. Sure. And I think that's the mark of a really great um, collaborative person. Uh, but at the same time, it's been amazing to see people I'm working with who have been in the business 20, 30 years, and they just have this wealth of knowledge. And in getting to talk to them, I've, I've tried to make it a point to encourage them because I think like our community, our industry has a, has a timestamp on it and an expiration date. Yeah. And I, yeah. But I, I mean, I think it's a very manufactured one now, right? Because exactly. there are, there are people mm-hmm. out there and, you know, at least for me, I'm becoming very aware of that because I just turned 40 this year. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I feel like I'm doing some of the best stuff I've ever done. Yeah. You know, it may not be what I'm doing at work, but like, you know, side projects that are just for me, I think I'm doing some of the best stuff I've ever done. So I think that manufactured timestamp is a a very unfortunate thing. And I, th- I mean, I'm sure it's in a lot of other industries. I know, you know, you look at like Hollywood and things like that. There's that there, too. But. For us, it's, I don't know. I, I, I've never understood that. I, I don't, you know. Yeah. I don't, I don't ha- know what aging has to do with loss of creativity. I don't think it's that case. Right. It really shouldn't be. I think it's more so the spirit to um, be resilient that gets lost over time. And it's fair because it can be really difficult to be doing projects that you don't love or dealing with people that get on your nerves or trying to pander to a client when they're not understanding the solution you have for them and trying to work around anybody that's afraid. Like, I understand that that gets mm-hmm. really tiresome, but it's true. When I think of like, especially the photographers, I've worked with a lot of photographers who they'd be like, Oh, you know, last week I shot Bono. Like in what? person, you don't mean like on your phone walking somewhere. They're like, no, 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 no. We shot a music video. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like that's incredible. And yeah. it's someone who's, you know, 55 years old, 60 years old. Who's just, He's rocking it out and he loves his job and, and talking to people who are like, man, you know, digital stuff's coming along. I don't feel relevant. And I'm like, you learned to shoot on film, right? Yeah. I'm like, you have command of light that some of us will never understand. Like Mm -hmm. we just don't have that patience and that skill. That's huge. So it's neat to like run into these people of, from all walks of life and all different ages and, and experience levels that are working together on a team and can step away from something going, you know what? That was a lot of fun. I really like doing that and making them feel good about like what they can bring to that, to that team is, is so much fun. I just, I enjoy like coming away from an experience like that, feeling like everyone had a good time. Yeah. Well, continuing with that collaboration theme, I know you've done work with, um, Joseph Alessio and, Mm -hmm. oh, I just blanked on her name. Aaliyah. Aaliyah Toussaint. Thank you. (laughs) I I almost said, (laughs) I almost said Alan Toussaint and I knew that wasn't right. (laughs) it's okay (laughs) like no not the jazz guy who just passed away in new orleans um so you know how does that collaborative process work for you because you know it looked like i saw one piece that you did i think it was with joseph that was for the washington post yeah but it looks like you've done some side projects with them as well yeah i find um the important thing about collaborating it's kind of like being in a band Mm -hmm. Um, i think about high school bands or 
people that I knew that were in bands in high school and how they were pretty decent, but they weren't great. And the biggest reason is because they didn't know how to properly restrain themselves. Mm-hmm. It was like everyone needed a guitar solo while everyone else had a drum solo while everyone else was like, you know, shredding on the bass. And that's not music, that's noise. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to collaborate with someone, it shouldn't simply be because you're trying to, you know, hit up their social cred or you're trying to, you know, make yourself look like a legitimate creative person. It should be because they bring a different aspect and a complementary one to what you do. Um, I've had people ask to work with me and I go, yeah, this is a great idea. Tell me what you want to do. And then they'll send me a photograph of like some food type. And I go, no, (laughs) I'm already doing that. I don't need you to do that. I need you to do what you do best. I need you to contribute motion. Like with, with Joseph, he does beautiful motion and that's Mm -hmm. something where I'm learning, but it's not my strongest attribute. And so it's not your comfort zone. So yeah, I mean, and that's not to say I won't continue to play with it, but it's, if I'm going to bring in someone who knows what they're doing, it's going to be him. And to be fair, he brought that Washington post job because he felt that it was going to bear too much resemblance to what I do. And so he wanted to do it responsibly, which was really big of him. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, with Aaliyah, she does pattern and she does pattern out of, um, various objects and flowers and things. And so when I saw her work, I instantly was like, Oh my gosh, we need to work together right this second. Jealousy in a good way. Yeah. It was one of those things where we get on the phone and we talk through our ideas and we'd be like, well, no, 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 we can't do it like this because it would mess with skin. Well, yeah, you're right. Because then it would, you know, distract with this way. And we're just like finishing each other's sentences. And that's how, you know, you have a, a smart collaboration, something where two people are inputting their strengths but figuring out how to hold back in a way that allows someone else into their process. And it's really, it's humbling. It's very humbling to send someone a file and be like, Oh God, here's my Photoshop file. (laughs) You know, and expecting them to be okay with that. And just realizing where that, where the um, balance needs to be for uh, how that works. I also think it's important that when you collaborate with someone, it's almost like you're just splitting a check. You're at a restaurant, you split the check down the middle. Mm-hmm. You can't parse out, well, you know, I fronted the idea and I worked on this file and I did this thing and I corrected their mistakes. You can't be like that mm-hmm. um, working with someone because essentially you're you're going into this little mini, mini marriage and you have to commit to both being responsible for the output. So it's mm-hmm. important to like kind of think of it more like a partnership and less as like a leg up situation, which I've seen people do and it's not as successful. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you go in with that kind of attitude, it, it breeds a little bit of animosity between mm-hmm. the people trying to work together and you don't work together as well then. So, yeah. you know, continuing on the collaboration thing, um, you know, I know you have got a lot of side projects out there as well. Um, one of the favorite ones, and I just I just talked to her um, last weekend, was uh, Mean Trails that you did with uh, Shauna Pancheson. So oh, we love that one. So I mean, did, I'm ashamed to know to say that I know <laughs> what the reference is. Did that just come together from a mutual love of Mean Girls, or what? How did that come about? Yeah, Shauna and I, Shauna and I are buddies, and we text back and forth on a fairly regular basis. And it seemed like any of the texts that she would send, I would then like spout off a mean a Mean Girls reference, and then she would spout a couple back at me, and then we just keep going. And so we have this like deep well of affection for this this movie and we realized that 
a lot of designers, the underpinning of the design world is in fact this movie. And I don't know, I don't know how that is. I think it's just life. It's <laughs> nothing ever really progressed past high school. <laughs> maybe not. I, I think maybe all designers kind of feel a little bit like Katie, Katie Heron, um, <laughs> where they're a little bit victimized and they're trying to just overcome it. And so when they're way cooler than their, their counterparts in their twenties mm. and thirties, they're like, Hey, so remember me? <laughs> I think there's almost <laughs> that, that aspect of like working through the ranks and catching up, so to speak. And so we started publishing this, this project together and we thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if we involved other people? And so we've, we've had Mike Greenwell, who was also, um, he's freelancing, but was formerly at target and did a mm. really great, Gretchen Wiener's tribute. Um, Lauren Hom recently contributed. That was fantastic. Um, we've had Elizabeth Sideros, and we've got a couple other people who are really excited. And so the two of us will continue to kind of keep that ball rolling with this project by adding our own takes on different quotes. And I hate to say it, but we've taken like a lot of the good ones, <laughs> but there's still plenty left. So yeah, I think you have the right when it's your idea. You can, you know, kind of pick and choose the favorite ones you want to work in. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's fun and it's been really cool to stretch people and be like, so, you know, are you comfortable playing with this kind of idea? Are you interested in this one? And I still can't get anyone to take, um, too gay to function. I want somebody to do this. I want it to be so cute. I just, it hasn't happened yet. So I need to stop trying to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like sure. that's a bold one. <laughs> that That is a bold one. I'm sure someone is either going to love it or be so worried that they're going to offend someone. Yeah. That, you know. uh, <laughs> it, um, yeah, I can see that. I, I don't it's, think I would want to take on that one. I'm not that brave. Yeah. I uh, really, I think I'm not either. I just want to see someone else be braver than me. <laughs> Truly. So, as I just kicked my plug out on my computer somehow. Oh, no. <laughs> I was wondering why it uh, the battery was going down real quick. Um, so, you know, you've done a couple other interesting things that I'm curious about. And, you know, normally I'm not so much into talking about work, but as a child who grew up in the 80s and fondly remembers MTV when they actually played music, mm-hmm. how sure. did how did your little thing that you did with the whole MTV logo and talking about it? Oh, well, actually, the funny thing is, is that I've had people say I've worked for MTV and I haven't worked for them. I simply did that logo as part of a, hey, I'm on a panel that's discussing MTV for paste. Right, Um, right. Yeah, I was invited to contribute to that. And there were a lot of really great people involved, um, really fun dialogue back and forth. But I I signed up for this panel. I was asked to participate um, by one of the writers there, Sarah, who had attended a workshop of mine at Creative South. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, sure, I'd love to participate. She goes, great, because the first thing is MTV and how crappy their current logo is. And I went, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> I feel so unqualified. So I talked to so many teenagers that week. <laughs> can't even tell you. I'm like, hey, guys, I, ne- I need your help desperately. Um, so I, I also at the same time was getting a video shot of me and they wanted some additional work. Mm-hmm. Um, like something to shoot like a project and it was kind of asked of me just kind of on the spot so I went oh well you know I'm going to be posting this article soon here let me let me just make a quick thing and so I, I took sugar and I took little um, multicolored like pink and pink and green um, I guess candies and then just took photos on my cell phone it's why the quality is so terrible on it but 
it is enduring. So, so I will say one of the things that I loved about the video, and I, I will say, I'll also freely admit that when I first saw you post the thing, I thought that until I actually read the piece, I thought that you got to work, and I was like, not that I'm not excited for you getting to work with Pace Magazine right. because I love Pace Magazine, but I was like over the moon, like she got to work with MTV. I <laughs> wish it would be so much fun. But, <laughs> like, I feel. But so I was watching it and I'm and, you know, you shot it with your phone and I'm watching it on my phone and the sugar in it looked so powdery. I thought you were making a joke about Coke in, in the 80s, which I thought was so fitting. So if you want to use that, that as a story, I will freely give that up. But it, it just I'd, so I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like halfway paying attention because my kids are running around at the time and I see it coming up and I was like, did is she making a joke about cocaine in the eighth? <laughs> oh, please tell me she is. Please tell me she is. <laughs> Unfortunately, not this no. time. I I am known to do subversive things like that with my artwork, and that's that's part of the fun of working in multiple mediums. But mm-hmm. not that time. I wish. <laughs> I wish I'd been so clever. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was specifically why I wanted to talk to you about that. I was hoping. <laughs> I was hoping for it. I didn't. You know, in my heart of hearts, I knew it wasn't the case, but I'm so sorry to disappoint. I was hoping, but like I said, if you want to completely fabricate that story based on what I just said, I will. You know, but I have had two like different job offers to do drug-based art. Nope, three. I've had three different offers to do drug-based art. I notice you say offers. Offers, yeah, because I didn't end up taking them for various reasons, but one of them actually, the second one I I received, it was for a book, a memoir about a guy who was apparently a drug dealer and runner. Mm-hmm. However, he got busted like while they were trying to publish the manuscripts for some unscrupulous activity, and therefore the project was canceled. Amazingly, a former drug dealer got busted for... Something. <laughs> Never would have seen that coming. <laughs> I know, I know. It was, it was very interesting. So I went, well, I'm unsurprised. Thank you for your interest next time. So Yeah. So... <laughs> Very cool. I um I saw somebody recently did something, uh, speaking of drugs, that was very reminiscent of your style. That was, um, it was about the cannabis stuff in, um, I think it was Colorado. It may have been Oregon, but it it was a very um, fluid dimensional lettering with different products, and it was it was done with a lot of pot, and it made me it made me think of you when I saw it. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the Mary Mag because they follow and like everything I do, but they've never once hired me. So <laughs> I'm just kind of like, why are they not hiring me? I can tell they love my work. They're obviously very interested in it. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> they don't want to fly me that out there, man. I'd, I'd be a little worried that they'd want to like offer in trade or something, though. Yeah, I I don't know. I've I've never smoked anything a day in my life, not one thing. And so I see things like cigars and other other sundries that might be interesting but not enough that i would break my my fast of you're not, not you're not you're not missing much yeah, I, that's okay. I smoked in college and <laughs> like cigarettes but but didn't you feel cool weren't all the kids doing it it was cool for a while and then it just became <laughs> just something you had to do oh, and, gotcha. and that's you know, and then quitting it is so much harder. It it took me, I don't know, probably four or five times of just trying to quit to finally do it. So. I just imagine trying to go on a sugar fast. I've tried to do that once. Um, oh, I haven't even because, bothered to try with that. 
I know. But I can imagine it's the same. It's got to be nearly the same. I mean, it's just as addictive, truly. Sugar's actually worse for you, apparently. (laughs) At least from all the documentaries I see on Netflix. Mm -hmm. That is true. If there's anything to be believed. Though I've never heard of anyone getting lung cancer from sugar. Unless maybe they work in a sugar factory. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that would be a different thing. Maybe spun sugar? I'm sure there's some chef out there somewhere with black sugar lung. Yeah. I don't know. The the cotton candy workers at the fair, but then, you know, they're smoking so much. How do you know which one caused it? (laughs) Who knows? It's all just puffs of smoke everywhere you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we're getting close to our time here. So what's on the horizon for you? Other than, you know, the uh, impending hosting of Creative South that I inadvertently freaked you out about at the beginning (laughs) of the podcast. Which is the most exciting part. (laughs) Well, it should be. No, I'm I'm very excited to come back and be hosting. That's a great honor, and I'm I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be doing that. Um, apparently, this is I don't know if this is totally confirmed, so I don't know how much I should say. But Mike asked me the other day if I would be willing to do a food type type fight with someone. <laughs> Interesting. Exactly. So this could be really. I'm cool. going to have to pester him for more information on this. Mm-hmm. There was discussion of a breakfast battle. That is your only hint. So, mm, donuts. Yeah, that could be amazing. So, I'm really hoping it's donuts because he and I were talking yesterday about donuts for like an hour. I would love to do something out of donuts. That would be incredible. But you'd have to fry it all at the same. I don't know. Well, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> but- uh, you're the expert in it. I have. Um- <laughs> Aside from some failed experiments that I got schooled at when I was a kid, I have never tried to make uh, type out of food. So. Uh, it's so fun. It's so crazy. There's like all this, there's like a weird little bit of alchemy that you have to have. Like sometimes mm-hmm. um, I've done work out of yogurt and seeing how long it takes for the the way to separate out or like the watery parts to come out. It's, it's like no time. It's like a half hour. And so you're just like working and going, why is that weeping? Ugh. <laughs> And running around trying to fix it, like before the camera and the rest of the lights come on, it's quite invigorating, I guess you could say. The cook in me is trying to figure out a solution to that. Mm-hmm. I, I know. <laughs> There's a lot of discussion of, well, we shouldn't have used Dan. Well, why aren't we using Chobani? Damn it, get me Chobani! And so there's like weird. I think weird you gotta art. get what is it? The the Faye, the the one that uh, mm-hmm. Bobby Flay is pimping all the time. That it's already strained. And yeah. then strain it a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's I, up. That is what's up. Yeah, so it's almost to the point where it's like a cream cheese. Mm-hmm. Going back to cheese and making my mouth water in a bad way. Wow, that's we true. just keep tying things back to... <laughs> I know. Hmm. Going right back to it. Well, I mean, beyond that, I, I have a ton of I have a ton of workshops coming up in the next couple months. I'll be in uh-huh. Syracuse for um, Upstate Create, I believe is what it is. Creative Upstate. Um, I'll be at Design Ranch in Austin. I might be down in Austin for another engagement, but I'm still waiting for confirmation on that. But that will be really exciting. Um, who else? I've got a series of schools I'm going to be running off to. Mm-hmm. So I should be pretty good up through June in terms of like getting out and speaking and chatting with people. I'm really excited. I've not been to most of these places before. So new part of the country. Good. Well, cool. Well, thank you for making time to fit us in. And before I let you go, uh, where can people find you online? They can find me at a couple places. 
You can find me at marmaladeblue.com. I know the spelling on that is crazy. So you can also find me at danielle-evans.co if you prefer or foodtypography.com. You can also find me on various social handles, Pinterest, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram under Marmalade Blue, which you can also search my name and food typography. Yes. And there are lots of Daniel Evans out there who um, range from a model to a um, erotic book author. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> now who also apparently monitor. lives in Ohio. So, um, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, because I, um, I was I searched Daniel Evans, Ohio, and you were not the first one to pop up. I am not. Sadly, it's why I had to make a studio name. <laughs> there was a very large African-American woman who writes erotica yep. who popped up. Yep. Sit yes. down before you hurt your full self. That was her first book. Oh, yep. wow. See, you've done more research than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I think you find that rabbit hole and you got to go down it. So I, <laughs> so I actually have one more question for you, and I meant to ask it earlier. Where did sure. the name Marmalade Blue come from? That is a great question. So again, because my name has been, you know, industriously circulated by other people with interesting jobs, um, I realized that I was not really going to be able to beat SEO on something like this. And so I thought, okay, well, I need a studio name. Um, what is that going to be? Well, I like the sound of marmalade because I wanted something that sounded nice when you said it. So I went, okay, marmalade, but I need to pair it with another word. I'm going to pair it with blue, but I'm going to spell it in the French feminine manner because I want to do international work. And I figured people would be more um, curious about me if I sounded more exotic, which is true because if you look up interviews um, or even just people posting my work, they'll always say, Oh, she's from Canada. She's from France. She's from England. She's from Pennsylvania. She's from all these other places. And it's never where I'm actually from. So go figure. <laughs> but um, I think just, I remember making that decision, knowing how, um, I guess, dangerous it could be or how bad it could be. And then realizing as I was making my first French piece for Target, I kind of like cried a little bit because I was mm. like, oh, it worked. It finally worked out. Like, I wanted it to. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, proving how uh, dumb of an American I am, I did not know that there was a feminine version of the spelling of blue in French. Yeah. Well, it's, you wouldn't know it unless you studied the language. And I just, no, I, I took Spanish and did poorly at that. Through my own fault. Not that I'm dumb. I just high school in Kentucky is all I gotta say. Yeah, not everyone's cut out for language. Although I would have loved to have heard that class. That would have been amazing. When your um, teacher has a country hill accent, um, yo hablo inglés is not the. And, and she had she had this weird speech impediment too, where it was words just kind of did this. So there was it was kind of like a lateral list. Oh no! <laughs> so yeah, to this day, I I know I butchered the language. I mean, I, I I can I can functionally speak it if I go to a tourist area area of Mexico, but that's about <laughs> it. Which I don't know why I try to functionally speak it then because they speak English just fine. I you should go to Spanish or Spanish. You should go to Spanish. Go to Spain at least then if if you're like really butchering it with some weird lispy accent they'll be like kind of from here that's okay yeah it's gonna be slow but barcelona <laughs> yeah barcelona yeah. It'd be fun. <laughs> so, well thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us and uh 
So just to not catch you off guard, we always end the uh, podcast with go out and hug some necks. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So go out and hug some necks. Thank you. I'm going to hit stop on record real quick.